Um, anyways, tonight we're going to be looking at verses 16 down through 24. Um, you say, and I just want to reiterate this, how come we're not doing the booklet to finish off the whole chapter? Well, you want the answer? Wait till we're done with it, right? Uh, you'll see why. The reason why is because that's ultimately going to start a new section. The, the birth and the life of Seth is really going to be the start. We often look at chapters as the beginning and the ending of things. But really, um, we have to look at the stages, paragraphs, uh, where things are um, as far as punctuation, and as well as thematically, right, with the theme, how it's going to be shifting from Cain and the ungodly line to then Seth and the godly lineage. All right, so we're going to focus on that tonight, look a little bit at that here in chapter 4. Let's read verses 16 down through 24 just so we can see exactly where we're at here. Quick review, all right? Let's remember, Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel go to worship the Lord. One, Abel, worships by faith, brings a, a, sacrifice, a sacrifice of blood. Um, Cain brings forth the works of his own hands without faith. God uh, punishes Cain, has this conversation with Cain, uh, comes to Cain, and he's like, hey, uh, you, you killed your brother, right? Cain uh, has this revenge against his brother. He murders, he commits all this crime, this issues. And then last week we looked at how Cain goes, well, my, my punishment is too difficult. Now the, the ground that I used to be able to grow things from is going to be uh, cursed where I can no longer grow things. I'm going to be a, a vagabond and all this stuff drifting out. We're going to see tonight, verses 16 down through here, where we get to more so of now Cain's life beyond this. How the Lord yet in his mercy still spared Cain, even though Cain remained unrepentant and, and, and unfaithful. Now look at verse 16 and 9. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now we can pause there. That tells you all that you really need to know about the life of Cain, doesn't it? Uh, here he goes on and it tells us, And he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived. We're going to answer, where did his wife come from? We'll answer that in a little bit, all right? Uh, it says, And bare Enoch, and he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat uh, Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives. Uh-oh, the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel. He was the father of such dwell in tents, and of such as, we ha- uh, uh, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. And Zillah, uh, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer of, of, in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. What we find tonight is the quick progression of sin. Sin never just affects the person that sins. Sin always has effects, and it's long-lasting effects. It, it is, um, it, first of all, it's an eternal effect, right? The fall of mankind had, had eternal ramifications and repercussions, of which we're still facing today. The world's getting worse and worse, right? The world's still spinning, but it's not spinning any better, right? The people on earth are still living, but they're not living any better. Things are getting worse and worse, as the Lord said that they're going to, right? Here in just a couple chapters, the Lord's going to finally say with these folks, enough of that, we're going to start over fresh and brand new, and that's really going to be a picture of what eternity will look like, and we'll get into that. I'm getting two chapters ahead of myself. When we come to verse 16 tonight, what we're going to see here is this progression now that Cain has murdered, and now he's going to be marrying. He marries, and he moves on. He's heading off uh, away from the presence of the Lord. He's heading out. The the place, it says, and Cain went out from the presence 
of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. We'll get into it a little bit here in just a few more moments, but just to keep this in your mind, all right? The land of Nod literally is the understanding that it is a place of wandering, right? If we remember back, verse, just a couple of verses ago, God tells him, Behold, thou hast driven me out of this... Uh, excuse me, let's go back here. Um, God said in number uh, verse 11, Now art thou cursed from the earth, which had opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from my hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. When you think of fugitive and vagabond, what do you think of? Someone who's a nomadic, someone who's wandering around. Now he's going to a place called Nod, as a place of wandering. It is also the idea of a, of a wilderness. Wilderness or a desert place, it is a place where life is not prosperous. It is a difficult place. If we think about this, right, and this is not to, to jump to some sort of super or pseudo-spiritual understanding, but when we think about what does it mean to leave the presence of the Lord? Is that a place of, uh, it, it's certainly a place of, of wilderness, it's certainly a place of wandering, it's certainly a place that is not prosperous, right? When the presence of the Lord there, what do you think of? You think of prospering. Why? Because God's there. You think of the Lord's blessing because His face is there. His, his uh, heart is there. His will is being worked out there. Now, Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. Now, if we remember this as well, what is Eden, right? Eden was the garden, the garden of God, where God was to dwell with His people and His people to dwell with Him. However, sin is what caused mankind to have to be placed outside of that beautiful, perfect garden in order to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, Adam and Eve could still get into the presence of the Lord. Why is that? Well, you say, number one, theologically, God is omnipresent. That means He's wherever you can go, God's there too, right? Nothing, nothing can run or hide from His, his face, His eyes, His look, His gaze, uh, or, or even His presence, right? But it also means something else. If we look back, we remember that Eden was a picture and a type of the tabernacle. Tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament was a place of God, of the worship of God, the presence of God. It was a place where they were, uh, where God and man could meet together. Now, as we recall, back at the very beginning of chapter four, we established the fact that we believe, looking logically at the scripture at the end of chapter three, beginning of chapter four, who tells and teaches Cain and Abel how to worship God? Well, it has to be Adam and Eve. It's their parents. They've watched God by His own hand slay an innocent animal, spill the blood to then cover them with coats of skins at the end of chapter 3. So, who does the first sacrifice in the Bible? Not man. God does. He does it for man, right? As a substitute to cover and to cleanse man from their sin and from their nakedness. Now, in chapter 4, we dealt with this, that this place where they would have came to worship God, it's there at the east part of Eden, right? So, he drove out man and he placed, uh, chapter 3, verse 24, at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. He does this for Adam and Eve's protection, for his descendants' protection. If they were to go in their sinfulness to the way of tree of life and partake from that, they would remain in their sin forever. However, they can come there up to the gate, if you will. This is the place where they can meet with God, to worship with God, to build an altar, to sacrifice as they have seen God do Himself. So, with that, we see the worship of God. We see the presence of God there. So now we go from being in the garden, which is where the presence of God is. Remember, God came looking for Adam and Eve. He's walking, right? They hear him. Uh, it says, and they heard the, uh, in chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, right? It's not that he's walking on crunchy leaves, but it's the idea that his voice, his very presence, they know God is here with them in the garden. Now, they were sinners at that point. God was still there. How about this? Now he placed them out of the garden. 
Yet God is still there and God is still able to meet with him and they're able to meet with him. But only, only through God's way. We can only meet with God the way in which God has instructed us to do so. How has he instructed us to do so? One, by faith. Without faith, according to Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is dependence. It is trust. It is a committing of oneself. It is looking to the Lord and living. It is a life that is not having to be lived by blindness and going, well, I'm just going to trust because I don't know anything. It's rather going, this is who God is as he has revealed himself. Therefore, I will trust in him because I've got no other hope. There is no other hope. Now, when we put our faith in him, that is where we are able to please God, to worship the Lord outside of faith. There is no relationship with the Lord. Outside of faith, outside of faithful obedience according to the law of God, the word of God, and how to worship God, there is no dealing or being around or being able to enjoy the presence of God. So, all that, by way of introduction, verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. We go from the garden, where God's presence is very much there, to now we're outside of the garden, and God and man can still meet, but only by faith and only through a blood sacrifice. And now, because of Cain's refusal to offer faith, and to offer blood sacrifice by faith, he's moved further away, right? Further, further, further away. This is the progression of sin. Sin's grenade goes off in the garden, right? But the shrapnel is now outside of it. It is impacting the world around it. Animals, trees, the ground, the ground is cursed, thorns are springing up, and now you've got the one who is to be the would-be Messiah, Cain is now the murderer, he's now a vagabond, he's now on the run, a wanderer in a place of wandering. When we get away from the presence of God, we're wandering, aren't we? God doesn't move, does he? God is where God is, because God is everywhere. Yet at the very same time, what we understand is this. Think about our Christian walk and Christian life here. What happens when we sin? We are wandering from the Lord, number one, right? Two... We don't enjoy God's presence in sin, do we? Right? You don't enjoy church when you're in your flesh and when you're full of sin. Of course not. How could you? You're not supposed to anyways. You don't read your Bible and pray when you're full of sin and in your flesh, do you? You might be able to pray and to read, but it won't be fruitful, will it? Why? Because the flesh never produces spiritual fruit. So, what do we find with the life of Cain? It's a life lived in the flesh, it's a life lived for the flesh, by the flesh, which produces no good spiritual fruit. What does it do? It leads us to a place of wandering and being away from the very presence of God. Now, in the very beginning, was man created to live in the presence of God? Yes, absolutely. We find that. That's why God places him in a perfect garden, a perfect environment, a perfect place where all you got to do is, by faith, say yes to what I've said, and you'll be able to enjoy the Lord. The beauty of heaven and eternity. Well, what is that all about? That's returning to what our life was meant to be. To live ever before the face of God, to live ever in His presence, to live evermore before His blessed holiness and His absolute authority and rule. Not in a place of where we are fearful of this shrinking back, but rather... A holy fear that draws us closer to him, right? So Cain comes out of here. Now, now we'll get into the booklet. Okay, that, none of that was in there. All right. 
Verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife. Let's get into this here. Some overview for the next few verses here. Kidner writes, The beginnings of civilized life show a characteristic potentially for good and evil with the arts that will bless mankind flanked by abuse that will curse it. Culture used or abused offers no redemption. The one gleam of hope is in God's gift and man's belated response recorded in the chapter's closing pair of verses. We'll get into that um, in the next booklet. Here, culture is being established. Everyone and everything is a part of culture, right? Think about this. We've got pop culture. Well, that's short for popular culture. It is the, the way of the world, the things of the world, music, arts, sciences. It is a whole thing. It, even language is a part of pop culture, right? Think about this. Um, take the word bad, right? Pop culturally, it's got a whole range of meanings, doesn't it? It can mean, hey, this sandwich tastes bad. Or you could say, Man, this sandwich tastes bad. I said the same phrase, but how you said it goes from me, this thing is gross to this thing is good, right? Using the same word as bad, right? This is pop culture. So culture is always changing. But fleshly culture, though it changes, always remains the same. It is self-indulgent, it is self-willful, it is self-serving, self-pleasing, self-glorifying, right? the whole thing. But there's also a culture, spiritually speaking, Right Now, there's a couple of things here. We've got a culture of faith, which is real biblical Christianity. But then we also have a church culture. Church culture and, vi and biblical Christianity often intertwine, but yet are very distinct. This sticks to the Bible and the Bible alone. This sticks to faith and faith alone. This sticks to Christ and Christ alone. This lives and gives grace. This lives for the glory of God alone. This church culture is nothing more than religion but with a Bible at times. Church culture can be deadly, full of great poison. You say, well, are you saying that church is bad? No, I'm in church, right? But church can never be done outside of this. So we've got culture all around us. We're part of culture, whether we like it or not, right? Even the Amish, they live in a world surrounded by culture. They might shut off one culture, but what do they do? They create a new culture that they live in themselves. So we have culture, whether we like it or not. There are arts all around us. There are even those people who don't like music. Well, that is your musical choice. That is a part of your culture, your belief, your opinions, your thoughts. There's different variations and sides of all these different things. Now think about this. Music is a good thing. Art is a good thing. Literature is a good thing. But the issue that comes into place is when these things become self-serving or sinful. You can take many good things, right? Something that is a good thing or could be a good thing, but use it for evil, can't you? Right? Think about this. Alcohol. Is it good or is it bad? That's right. Depends on how you use it. Good job, Josiah. You get a gold sticker. Alcohol can cure some disease, some wounds, get rid of some germs, can it? That's good. But misused, not so good, right? Now, Here's the thing, culture itself, the world around us itself, and as we see this develop, we're going to see um, tents and farming and agriculture here. We're going to find music, literature being uh, given here. We're going to find brass and iron. We're going to find people who are making things, right? Why? Because mankind was designed to create. 
To be made in the image of God means that we ourselves also have this innate desire and ability to create. But God creates and it is good. Man creates and has the potential to go one way or the other and depends on how we use it. Is iron and brass a good thing? Yes. Think about how far we've come, right? Now that turned into plastic, right? Nevertheless, you can take iron, that's a good thing, and use it for evil, can't you? Same with brass, right? Um, how about this? We're going to see one of these, one of these uh, down in the lineage who's going to have a harp and an organ, right? The idea is music, literature. Um, it is uh, entertainment culture, right? That's a good thing. However, it can be abused, can't it? There's good music out there, isn't there? Of course. There's also bad music. There's good uses of many different things. The issue is what we do with it. But we're going to watch society here over the next seven generations is what's going to happen from Adam. And it's going to explode in just a few short amount of years. Think about this, right? Let's look back at the past 100 years, just in America, how quickly things have come. How many of you grew up, didn't have running water in your house? Toilet? Didn't have a toilet in your house? Right? right? Had an outhouse? You still have an outhouse? <laughs> right? It, you grew, things progressed quickly. My dad's 55, and, and I think they were the first house that had all that stuff on their, on their block, right? And you think, it wasn't but so long ago. Look how quickly things progress. Imagine here. The fall has only happened literally just days, weeks, months, and a few years ago. And so society is so smart, so gifted and able to create and designed to create. It's just an explosion of things, right? Here Scroggy writes, Cain's posterity were progressive in the industry and the arts. Here we read of architecture, weaving, manufacture, agriculture, music, poetry, but it was all divorced from true religion and only ministered to pride, indulgence, and the ambition to be rich. The industries and arts are valuable as allies of true religion, but divorced from it if they are potentials of much evil. If you want to discuss or, or to get some more details about uh, arts and the Bible or um, arts and how uh, faith works and the, the, the combining of these things, uh, I recommend, uh, I believe it's called Art and the Bible by Francis Schaeffer. He writes a lot about those things. Um, but as we look at this, these things are going to be used. We still see all these same things today. They can be used or abused. And it depends upon what we do with sin, whether we live by faith or not. Now, as we look here, Phillips then writes, two ancestral lines here are being traced in Genesis 4 and 5. This is the broad overview to help us out to get into it. The line of Cain is described first in chapter 4. This is the line of the ungodly, the line of unfaithfulness, right? The, the line that does not believe God, okay? That of Seth, the line of the godly, those who have faith, those who trust the Lord, those who are saved, if you will, is reviewed next, chapter 5. Uh, really beginning at the end of chapter 4 with verses 25 and 26. All right, That's why we cut off here. The writer pauses with the seventh from Adam in both lines and throws a straw into the wind to give a, few, a view of how things have been developing. He pauses with Lamech in the life of Cain to show the final ripening of the tares and with Enoch, the line of Seth to show the ripening of the wheat. Ungodliness climaxed in the coming of the lawless, uh, lawless one and unworthiness and the rapture of heaven of a man who walked with God. And we'll see that in chapter 4 and 5 as this progresses. We find as here, uh, Phillips writes, 
We got wheat and the tares. Jesus talked about that, right? Wheat's the faith, the faithful. The tares is the stuff, that, it's the chaff, right? It's the stuff that gets burned up, tossed. It's that of un, un, unbelief. We've got the sheep, the goats, right? We've got the godly, the ungodly. We've got the faithful and the unfaithful. And this is going to be the lineage all throughout. This is the whole line of Scripture to us today. Those of us who are saved today, do you go the way of Cain? No. Those of us who are saved today, which way do we go? The way of Abel. Or, as we're going to see, the way of Seth. The ones who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, individuals who build a life without God are actually broken from the inside out with nothing to truly stand upon. Think about Cain here. This is someone who has not believed God, who has walked by his own set of rules, who has lived by uh, his, his own thoughts, his own desires, and it has led him from the presence of God. It has led him to a place of wandering in the wilderness. And now he's got nothing and no one, if you will. He is an outcast from the Lord and an outcast from society of which he's known. An outcast from society of which there are some remnant who are still trusting the Lord and, and living by faith as Abel did. Now as we get into this, we're going to find that this unbelief and idolatry leads to this wandering sinful life. Kidner writes here, it was the, in the presence of the Lord that the crisis had arisen. Right? If we go back to, to verse 5, um, this is where it is, right? What is worship? Worship is to come before the Lord in His presence. It is to honor Him in His presence. It is to glorify Him in His presence. Back in chapter 4, verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Right? The Lord doesn't accept it. Meaning like the, the idea is like the Lord's presence is not with Cain's offering because Cain didn't come by the way of faith. So, with this, he continues, he says, It was in the presence of the Lord that this crisis had arisen. Cain's departure was both his sentence and his choice. On the one hand, he had uh, feared banishment, in verse 14, from thy face, and the wandering now expressed in the name Nod. On the other hand, he had disdained contrition, and now set himself to make success of his independence. The ensuing account gives a first taste of, of self-sufficient society, which is the essence of what the New Testament calls the world. The world is very much religious and very much full of faith. Except instead of having faith in God and what God has said, what God has done, what God expects, what God requires, it is a faith in oneself. The atheist is just as religious as the Bible-believing Baptist. right? The uh, Muslim or the Hindu or the Buddhist is just as faithful. The difference is where the faith, the object of faith. Our object of faith must never be our works. It must never be anything that we say or do or what we're trying to do. Rather, the object of faith must always be Christ. And it can only be Christ because without Christ, there is no hope. There is no salvation. There is no eternal security. There is none of these things. So, as we come into this, as we look at now Cain's new life here, he is establishing something here. He is establishing what we see all around us today. And it is what you and I were a part of without Christ. It is the way of Cain. It is the way of the world. He is establishing what it means to live for oneself and live by oneself. It is to be lost and to live without Christ is to live a life believing you do not need God and living a life without God. To deny His presence, to deny His existence, to deny His authority, to deny Him, period. That's what sin itself does. One commentator writes, the reference to Cain's departure from the presence of the Lord likely may uh, be him leaving the vicinity of the entrance of Eden and his parents' homestead. The notation of the land nod east of Eden is again a description of 
Antediluvian, this is the idea. Antediluvian is a $3 word for pre-flood, all right? Uh, for uh, pre-flood geography, such profound hydrological alteration, flood, all right, uh, um, of the Earth's geography um, and topography was caused by the flood as to render impossible the location of any antediluvian places. So do we have a map of what this place looked like? No. Do you know where Eden was? Me neither, right? Uh, we would like to think we know. More than likely, it could have been in the Middle East. Don't know. It, it probably wasn't in Carroll County, but we don't know. The world has changed so much because of the flood, and we'll get into that in the next few chapters. Now, what we find, though, like Cain, for the reprobate or the rejecter of God, sin is the cause, but sin is also the consequence for their judgment. Sin has caused Cain to reject God and to see that his judgment will allow, allow his sin to flourish into other generations. The seed of sin grows rapidly. You can look at Romans chapter 1 and see what happens when sin is allowed. Sin itself is the cause of a reprobate mind or God to give us over or give a people over to a reprobate mind. But it is also the consequence itself. When God gives someone over or a people over to a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1, it's very much like what we see here with Cain. It is God saying, okay, your sin is the cause of your judgment, but your judgment will be your sin. Meaning that God will allow Cain to stay in his sin. That doesn't seem like punishment to you and I, but think about it. What is sin? Sin is a rejection of God. It is a departure from his presence. It is a rejection of his presence, a rejection of his authority. It is no way to live. It is a life lived without God. That's frightening, isn't it? At least it should be. You and I who have been saved so long, we, we have forgotten what it's like to live without God. Yet many times we often slip because every time that we sin, that is a moment in time where we wish to desire to live without God. We just don't say it that way. Now, as we look into this, we get to this place in verse 17, and Cain knew his wife the same way that his dad knew his mom, and Adam knew Eve his wife. This is the biblical way of saying that they come together to have children. Now, where did he get his wife? Anybody ever wondered where Cain got his wife? You all know? All right, we'll skip over this. I don't care. We'll keep trucking here. Uh, essentially, what I gave to you here, it's a really long quote, and that's because it's a, it's a short article from Answers in Genesis. Um, it, just in all my research and things, they gave about the best answer possible, covering everything. So I want to take my time a little bit through it, and this is how we'll finish up tonight. Um, number one, Answers in Genesis article begins with this. The simple answer, where did Cain get his wife, right? The simple answer is that Cain married his sister or another close relation like a niece, all right? Now that sounds funky, but let me ask you some, some easy questions, all right? Was there anybody else living on the world that God had not created that we somehow forgot about? No. Did he just happen to be walking around and going, man, I can't believe I got kicked out of all this place. I ain't got nobody. And then here's a rustling in the bushes. Then boom, there's, there's a woman. He goes, well, I guess I'll marry her, right? No. Now let's look at this. Answer Genesis gives us some, some uh, better uh, understanding of this. This answer may sound revolting for those of us who grew up in societies that have attached a stigma to such an idea, but if we start from Scripture, the answer is clear. There were no other people on earth as some have claimed. And by the way, that is a big claim. There are many who say, well, you know, the people mentioned here in the Bible, God made them, and then there were also some other people that he made too, but he just didn't tell us about them. Do we think that God is going to make a whole other group of people outside of the lineage of Adam and not tell us? No, it makes no sense. 
Think about this, and, and answer Genesis, the article is going to answer this uh, just to help us out a little bit, to show us the importance of this. Who is the first person made in the Bible? Adam. He literally, his name really means man. It is that he is the federal head, the representative of all of mankind, and it will be through Adam and through his wife, Eve, that everyone else will come into existence. All right? Uh, the article continues. If he had made others, these people would not have been able to be saved from their sins. Oh, excuse me, let me back up. There were no other people on the earth, as some have claimed. God did not create other people groups from which Cain chose a wife, as we are all made from one blood, Acts 17.26. If he had made others, these people would have not have been able to be saved from their sins, since only descendants of Adam can be saved. That's why it was so important for Jesus to be Adam's descendant. Think about this. First Corinthians goes on to tell us, Adam here in Genesis, is the very first Adam. He is the representative of mankind. What will he do? Will he obey or disobey? He'll disobey. What will disobedience bring? Sin and death. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, on down through about verse 18. Now, what will Jesus do? Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. A second Adam, if you will. A better Adam. What does he do? Does he disobey or obey? Jesus obeys. In so doing, according to Romans chapter 5 as well, that He brings life and forgiveness and brings about grace to those who are under the law, to those who are under the punishment of sin. So, uh, as he continues on here in the article, he says, doesn't the Bible forbid marriage between close relations? And yes, it does. But the laws against marrying family members were initially given as part of the Mosaic Covenant approximately 2,500 years after God created Adam and Eve. This will take place in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where we'll see the law given, and that was for a specific purpose and reason. Now, as he gets into this, he says, Due in part to genetic mistakes, these laws were necessary to help protect offspring from mutations shared by both parents. Now, let's look at this. We don't have to be genetic scientists or, or biologists to understand some simple genetics. Adam and Eve, in the garden, before they sinned, what were their bodies like? They're pretty good, weren't they? Mentally sharp, insides are working, outsides are working, they're in a great environment. Sin happens. Now there's a slow deterioration taking place, right? And think about this, even the past few hundred years, human beings have changed, right? The average size of a man used to be a whole lot different 80 years ago than it is even today. It could be because of the stuff that we're putting in chicken breast or something, I don't know. But nevertheless, we're getting a little bit taller, okay? Now, we look at them, they're so much closer to when mankind was in right relation, when things were good and pure and right. And let's remember this as well. Who do we all come from? Adam and Eve. So in Adam and Eve is the genetic makeup of every single person on the planet. Everything that was needed to make the African, who is much darker than you and I, all the way to the uh, um, person in Norway who is as white as snow and the, and the Asian who is the yellow man, regardless of where you are, where you come from, Adam and Eve have the perfect genetic makeup. Now this is going to be important because once we get over into the ark, is it that there's chihuahuas and, and German shepherds and all this stuff? Or is it that there's a male and a female dog that is perfectly genetically uh, able to bring about all that is neat? That's the case. Same with Adam and Eve here. 
So, they're less removed from the fall. They have the genetic makeup that is a whole lot stronger and a whole lot better than what we have today. We are so far removed from all these things and so interbred and so all these different places, right? Cross-contaminated, if you will, that there are some real dangers and issues to intermarrying within a close relation of families. Now, this stuff still takes place today. Other parts of the world, and there's a lot of folks who are born in other parts of the world who deal with this uh, in little tribes and villages, and they all have certain genetic makeups and issues, um, certain uh, defects, if you will, genetically, where uh, they, they have uh, different physiological or psychological issues. We, we even see it in the United States, different parts and places and different families and things, lineages. As he moves on here, we see, um, due in part to genetic mistakes, these laws were necessary to help protect offspring from mutations shared by both parents. But that's incest, someone say. In today's world, this would be incest, but originally there would have been no problem with it. Looking back through history, the closer we get to Adam and Eve, the fewer genetic mistakes people would have. So it would have been safer for close relatives to marry and have children. Christians who have a problem with this answer need to remember that Noah's grandchildren must have married brothers, sisters, or first cousins. There were no other people. 1 Peter 3.20, Genesis 7.7. Abraham married his half-sister, Genesis chapter 20. Isaac married Rebekah, the daughter of his cousin Bethuel, Genesis 24. And Jacob married his cousins Leah and Rachel. Clearly the Bible does not forbid the marriage of close relatives until the time of Moses. Also, it is rather ironic for evolutionary skeptics to mock the biblical position that all people are descendants of the first man and woman. These evolutionists believe that all living organisms are descendants of the first living cell that somehow sprang to life from non-living material. Makes no sense. He says, when we start from Scripture, it is easy to see who Cain's wife was. God's Word has the answer to this question and so many others like it. We just need to trust what He has revealed. Now I want to give you three, uh, four, four things to answer another question. The other question off of this is not just where does he get his wife from, but I've been asked this question a lot and I want to answer it for you tonight and this is how we'll close. Why are the other people that are alive during this time unnamed and unmentioned? Anyone ever thought about that? All right, so you go, well, maybe, all right, so Cain got his wife from a relative, but how come his relatives aren't mentioned? Right? Now, look at this couple of things. First of all, chapters 4 and 5 are going to be following the lineage of the two heads of the two lines. The godly, which is Seth in chapter 5, or the end of chapter 4 really, and the ungodly, which is Cain. This is setting up the whole entirety of the scripture. Who is Jesus in lineage of? Cain or Seth? Seth. It's going to be going all the way through. Look at Jesus' lineage. It is the line of faith, of obedience, right? Second, and this is sort of hopefully to lighten it up a little, but the Bible is not a phone book. You ever thought about that? Right? You get the phone book and it's got all the names that are in there, right? You can find everybody, right? All the different line berries and, and rotenizers and different names around here. You can find all of them, right? Right? All the Hickses, right? A million of you, right? <laughs> right? All these down through the line, right? All Beasley's there. Um, no, I don't think it's Brian. There might be a few, but, but you, you, all through it, right? This whole list, right? It's, it's a directory. Is the Bible, has it named every person that's ever been alive? No. Right? Not even up through the point of Jesus. Why is that? Because what is important is not every single name of every single person that's ever been alive. The Lord knows that, anyways. What is important is the names that are leading up to 
Christ. The names leading to Jesus. These are the heads. These are the ones given. Third, every genealogy serves the purpose of pointing to either Christ or those who will be against Christ. It is either going to be showing in a lineage those who will live and walk by faith and lead to Jesus, His literal lineage physically, as well as spiritually, or it will be the lineage of those who the Bible in 1 John will call the Antichrist, those who go against God, those who go the way of Cain, according to Jude. And then four, uh, lineage is given and viewed uh, through the, the role of, of the male. Um, this is not that God doesn't like women or any of these things, but this is the way in which it is. The men were the head of the homes. The men were the head of the um, families. They were the patriarchs. They were the ones who their name carried it, right? So when we talk about Father Abraham, well, we don't get upset letting kids sing Father Abraham had many sons and not mentioning his wife, do we? Right? Or no, right? I don't know if we're going to throw a second verse in there or something. Father Abraham and mother, right? Had many sons? Okay. Now, we look at this here, and this is how we end. It says in verse 17, Cain knew his wife. We see where she came from. We see how they get together. We see, and it says, she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Cain starts building a city. What we're going to find, unfortunately, now we can say this around county folk, I guess, it's nice living in a small spot. But throughout the Bible, what we're going to see is that the cities often play a role in a place of wickedness. The reason why is less because it's about city and more the fact that where you find more people, you find more sin, don't you? Right? There's more of it. There's more of an acceptance of it. You find more people, there will be more sin because where there are people, there is sin, period. Now, Last part of this verse. He builds a city, names it after his son Enoch. Phillips writes here, he built a city and called it after the name of Enoch his son. Enoch means initiated or dedicated or as some suggest, inauguration. Cain inaugurated something new. He built a city. His plan was to create an artificial paradise to compensate for the real one now lost. Sin causes us to want to create our own kingdom. Sin causes us to want to live and to make a name for our own self. This is why after the flood, there's going to be a group of people that make this place called Babel. And they will build themselves a name for themselves as the idea. Over and over and over and over and over again, empire after empire after empire, nation after nation, king after king, every sinner desires to lift their name above the name of God to lift their rule and their law above the rule and law of God. What we find is that Cain here is the one to help establish the worldly religion. And even what we'll see later on, and this is to help put a little bug in your ear, what we will see called the Babylonian mystery religion. It is the world religion. Everything outside of biblical Christianity is the same religion. It just has a little bit of difference, and we'll see that in a few weeks. But worldly religion is self-built, self-dependent, self-exalting, self-pleasing, self-honoring. What is it? It's idolatry. We find that the way of Cain is the way of idolatry. And as we're going to see next week when we get more into his lineage, it's going to be the way of immorality. Where you find idolatry, you find immorality. 
So how do we find ourselves in such an immoral society as we do today? Idolatry of the heart. The heart of man in sin is absolutely wicked, and sin spreads like a wildfire. May each one of us search our hearts, see where we're at, and make sure that we stamp these things out and that our eyes are open to see the world around us and to understand that we must be influenced by the Word of God and stand upon the Word alone throughout all time and throughout whatever may come our way. God's Word matters, and we must obey. Not just because it's the right thing to do or because it blesses us, but simply because it's the only way of life. It is a life of faith. It is a life that says yes to God. It is a life that goes the way of Seth, goes the way of Abel, goes the way that God has established for us to live. Uh, let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this night. We are grateful that we could study your word, uh, grateful that we can see these things. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, in our minds and our hearts, and that we would trust you. Uh, grow us in grace and knowledge, Lord. Help us take these truths to apply it to our life, and as well as to go from this place where it would be used of you to uh, share the gospel, the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're